a series right now called The Psalms Unplugged. And uh, I was um, thinking about it this week. I think you ought to know uh, how, what kind of goes into um, preaching a sermon so that you follow right along. Uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks told us in seminary, uh, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then retell them what you told them. And so I thought, well, why not tell you? Here's the method. This week I'm going to show you the deductive method in preaching. Next week I'll show you the inductive method. But basically what I'm going to do today is read the psalm. We're going to read it together. It is Psalm 12. If you want to turn there in your Bible, then I will pray. And then I'm going to give an introduction. And then I'm going to give a main point. So there are two ways that you can preach. You can give your main point up front and then, in a sense, defend that from the text. Or you can walk through the text and make your main point as you go along. Today, I will make my main point up front uh, after I read the psalm and we pray together. This is Psalm 12. Uh, It is about the sixth one in this series that we're doing. We've got two more after this, and then we start the book of Acts. It begins with a title, To the Choir Master, According to the Shimonet, a Psalm of David. And here is the psalm. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful has vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for all the psalms. Thank you for your word. Word is pure, and it is good that we have it. I pray now as we look into this psalm in detail that we would forever be changed, that we would never look at your Bible the same. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in the day, I, I remember I used to listen to uh, different things back in when I was in high school and in college. I love to hear my kids turn on K-Love, and they know the songs. They're quoting to me who it is, who, what album it is, what instruments they're using. And it just got me thinking back to what songs did I listen to as a kid. And a couple came to mind. Um, in the 90s, there was the Spin Doctors, Two Princes, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Uh, in the 80s, uh, that's dating me a little bit, there were the Talking Heads with their one-hit wonder, Burning Down the House. Uh, What do those two bands have in common, the Spin Doctors and the Talking Heads? Well, they're both from New York City. I didn't know that until I started researching it. But both their names of their bands have alternative definitions. If you've ever thought about it, Spin Doctors, by definition, is a spokesperson employed to give a favorable interpretation. 
of the events in media, especially in politics. And talking heads are those commentators that you see on television from the head up. And so very often the spin doctors are the talking heads. And though the press like to think of themselves as objective, they're not. In the media, these are the voices we hear. And we need to be aware of the voices we hear. From that little voice in your head to the plethora of voices we hear every day, we must know what is a lie and we must listen for the truth. Have you ever done that? Just listen to what's around you. Just stop and you take inventory of the noise around you. Uh, Last week I was teaching a class at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, It was a fitness class and so I put it on XM Radio thinking, uh, you know, there's not going to be anything on Dance Cardio USA that uh, would be uh, nauseous to my ears. But we're going through these exercises, and I hear uh, this on Channel 51 of the XM Radio, Cardio Dance. I like it better when we're wasted. It's a great tune, you know, people are working out and you're coaching them, and then you hear, I like it better when we're wasted. And I'm just like, well, that's odd. But we got to pay attention to the voices we hear, the voices outside of us, uh, the voice inside of us. Just last night and this morning, I had a friend who finished the Leadville 129 hours and 15 minutes. He gets a buckle. And all along that run, there were voices telling him, you can do this. You're doing great. Keep going. Don't give up. There were voices outside of him. There's a voice inside him competing. There was a voice inside of another guy who stopped at 50 miles. That voice says, you can't do it. You're not going to make it. We've got to be aware of the voices around around us. And so today I want to show you from this psalm uh, what what God has to say about the voices that compete for our, our minds, our ears, our hearts. Here's the main point. We move from helpless to hopeful by hearing God's true word in the midst of a lying world. We move from helpless to hopeful by listening to God's true word in a lying world. And so what you're going to see is a movement through the psalm. You're going to see where we are. You're going to see what we have and what we must do. It begins with a title, To the Choir Master, According to the Shemineth, A Psalm of David. Like last week, we know who this is written to. It's to a choir master. This was David writing to someone who is over the choir. David was concerned with corporate worship. David, this is all from the title, David was concerned not just with himself, but he was concerned with God's people. He considered his personal experience, which he was recording for us, to fit in something bigger than his life. Do you do this? Do you see your life as an individual fitting into a bigger picture of God's great story? Do you see your life as a part of a bigger melody line of God's greater song? And this psalm was written to be uh, incorporated with instruments, according to the Shemineth. And it was a psalm of David. Men, this is David. He is a powerful king. He's a manly man. And he wrote poetry. Give it a try. Especially if you have a spouse, give it a whirl. Uh, She will show you much grace. 
And so here David begins, save, O Lord. Other versions say, deliver, help. Basically, David is saying, get me out of here. Why? Why does he want God to save him? Why does he need God to deliver him? Because he says, for the godly one is gone. The chesed one. This is the same word that's used in the book of Ruth over and over one. This is the chesed one. This is the one in covenant relationship with God. This covenant person is gone. And just so you know, this word chesed means it's a lifestyle. It is not a one-time single decision. This is a series of decisions to follow God no matter what. And then you get a synonymous statement. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. To be godly is to be faithful. Are you and I, are we faithful? Are we people of integrity? Can others depend on us? Do we follow through or is that just not a trait of yours? Is your yes, yes, there's just not much better than a faithful person, if you think about it. They're like dependable refrigerators. I mean, they don't make a whole lot of noise, but you know they always get the job done. Is that you and I? You see, David in this first verse felt alone. If you were trying to set it in a context, we're not given one from the title, but you could probably assume 2 Samuel 15 through 18, this is where David is fleeing from Absalom. This could be the context of this psalm. And his isolation aids in his trepidation. He says to himself, the godly one is gone. Now, if you look down in verse 7, at the end of that verse, it says, you will guard us. You will guard us in the ESV. And so David is not um, the only one. He's not falling into the trap of Elijah who said, God, in 1 Kings 19.10, I am the only one left. And God had to show him there were 7,000 who had not bent the need to uh, Baal. And so David is not saying he's the only one. He is just saying in the midst of this situation, leadership can be lonely. I am overwhelmed. I need you to deliver. What did he need him to deliver from? Look at verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. That is, people aren't just lying to their enemies. They're lying to their closest friends. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. David is saying the world of around him is full of deception, flattery, and people talking out of both sides of their mouths because their hearts are divided. They lie to one another. Their yes is not yes. Is he exaggerating? Is he being a bit dramatic? I mean, that was then, but what about now? Well, what would you say, even though there are plenty, I would say, in our day and age, plenty of salt-of-the-earth people whose yes is yes, who, who say what they mean and mean what they say, but would you not agree with me that we live in a lying society? We live in a society that sees it okay to lie. I mean, let's just start with advertising. I was looking on TV the other day, and the, the commercial said that if I owned this particular cell phone over this particular cell phone, which is far inferior... This one will organize my life, and I can even speak to it, and it will remind me when I'm supposed to buy my wife flowers. And so I need to go out and spend hundreds of dollars. Well, they 
woo you in. This one's only 99. They don't even say 100. I mean, give me the dollar. Just put three zeros on it. But marketing tells us if you say 99, somebody won't think it's 100. Or there are a plethora of commercials about wonder drugs. If you're suffering with this, that, and the other, don't check your heart on the issue ever. It's just a, a medical issue that can be fixed with a pill. Or you go to politics, and I said I wouldn't use any visual aids, but I, I have to. And you think about politics, and you think it's an election season, and this is what was in our paper Monday, August 11th. Commentary. Keep election season truthful and respectful. Why do we even need to have an article about that if we live in such a wonderful society that never lies and is never disrespectful in what they sling? Mud. And so you see it in advertising and media. You see it in politics and government. You see it in the courts that the Hobby Lobby barely won their case because we can't get judges to agree on the truth. You, you see it in the church where pulpits become pundits and pastors become spin doctors saying to the church, you know, we just really need to grow up. I mean, this whole idea of creationism, complementarianism, that was so archaic, that's so Old Testament. I mean, science and sociology have proven that we have evolved in men and women. There really are no differences. And that's what we're saying, and they're saying to me, Pastor, they're saying to our elders, elders, if you guys want to carry your church into the 22nd century, you really need to give up on those old truths. Those are the voices that are competing for our minds. Those are the voices that we hear. So I don't think it's any different in David's day and age, in our day and age. David needed to be saved by God from this evil lying society. And so he called to the Lord. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? David wanted to, God to act on his behalf. He is not seeking revenge. He is seeking refuge. If you go back up one psalm, you see it. In the Lord, I take refuge. He is taking refuge in the great I am, Yahweh. That is, when you see the Lord capitalized in some of your translations, that is what it's indicating, that this is Yahweh. This is the covenant-keeping God. God, I need you to cut off these wicked people. And the wicked, as you, if you've been following with us, saw in Psalm 7, you can see it all over the Proverbs. You can see it in life. Jesus says it in Matthew 12, 34. The overflow of your heart, the mouth will speak. They flatter, they boast, they make great boasts. We win, we rule. We've got to check our own hearts on this because the overflow of my heart, my mouth will speak. The mouth is an untamed terror or it's a treasured tool. It is one or the other. There's no in-between. Our brother James says, With it we praise God, and with it we curse men who are made in God's likeness. My brothers, this ought not be. I could do another sermon 
right now I could go off and spend the rest of today talking about the tongue. The mouth is a barometer of the soul. How do you view your tongue? I mean, do you say something and then are you quick to say, I didn't really mean that. Or are you even quicker to say, I'm just kidding. I remember somebody dear to me one time when I got a haircut like this a long time ago. Back when I had hair and I got a haircut like this, people were wondering, what are you doing? And they said, that's a horrible haircut. I'm just kidding. You know what I wanted to quote to them? Proverbs 26. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. So the next time you throw out, I'm just kidding, I'd encourage you to go meditate on Proverbs 26, 18, and 19. Because you're not just kidding. That's the overflow of the heart, the mouth, you speak. But that is another sermon for another day. And so David tells us right up front where we live. We live in a lying society, and the voices are many. You and I need to watch out. But what do we have? We have God's answer to prayer. Verse 5, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. Do you see how God saw David the king? He saw him as poor and needy. The one who had all the wealth in all the world, he saw him as poor. The one who had all the power over his people, he saw him as needy. And God says, I will now arise, says Yahweh. I will place him, David, in the safety for which he longed. Did you know that this is the first psalm with this answer oracle, that God comes right out and he answers prayer? My wife and I were talking the other day about God and prayer and answering prayer, and it's true. We shouldn't thank God for unanswered prayers. He always answers our prayers. It's yes, it's no, or it's not now. He always answers our prayers. Always. And he can be trusted. God will rise and save and those who cry out to him. That reminds me of Exodus 2. If we were to go back to Exodus 2, the people of God cried out to God and it says, He knew. Or you go to the book of Judges. And oh, how gracious is God in the book of Judges that over and over again, He tells them up front, You're going to go into the land. Uh, you're not going to do what I tell you. And so, basically, the evil people are going to take over. But when you cry out to me, I'll raise up a judge. He will deliver you, and then the land will be at rest. And then, guess what you're going to do? The same thing over and over again to show that the people were longing for a human judge that couldn't fulfill the promise of God because they didn't just need a human judge. They needed a God-man but over and over again, if you're to walk through the book of Judges, I mean, it's direct. It says, and when the people cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a judge. And so when you cry out, God will answer because he's a God of promises. One of my favorite pastors in the whole world, Dr. Mark Dever, uh, wrote a book. He actually did preach through um, 68 different sermons. He did a sermon on the Old Testament in total, and then he did one sermon for every single book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, like he covered all of Genesis in one sermon. 50 chapters in one sermon. I mean, they were there for like two weeks. I'm just kidding. No, 
50 minutes. I don't know. But he did Leviticus in one sermon. That is the best way to preach Leviticus, by the way. It's just one sermon. You're clean. You need a sacrifice. Boom, here he is. His name is Jesus. Um, but he, he wrote a book, and, and it's a two-volume. And I would encourage you to get it when you're reading through the Bible. Uh, and just read his uh, book right before you read the book, whatever book you're reading, because it gives you an overview. And he called it Promises Made of all the sermons in the Old Testament, and he called it Promises Kept. Is he, is he getting that from somewhere? Yes, he, he sees it in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. That is, they are without any impurity. There is nothing in them that is false. Like, and he gives you a, a picture here, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. That's how they did it in that time. Purified seven times. David chooses that number of scripture that he says this is perfect. God's word is perfect. There is discussion about whether or not uh, this verse here is uh, relating to verse 5 only or to the bigger picture of God's greater word, the Bible. Uh, I think it's both. I mean, I don't think we need to make... Sometimes you just, if you're ever losing sleep, just go read commentary sometimes because you're just like, why are you even arguing about this? But somebody had to get a Ph.D., and that's okay. Um, and those are good. It forces you to think. I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it can be both. It is relating to verse 5, and it's relating to his bigger picture, the Bible. Uh, We moved from a lying society in 1 through 4 to 5 and 6 to a God who speaks truth. And this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You will never go wrong by humbly reading your word. This is God's word to us. David may have received it in direct revelation. You and I receive it in 66 books of the Bible, and it is everything that we need. We need no more. I don't know how many times I need to emphasize that. We do not need another voice, not another voice, because even in there, in the Bible, it says the abundance of the counselors, there's victory. So God's word is saying you you need others around you, but it's, it's others who point you back to his word. We have everything we need. Peter said it like this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which, how did we get this? He has granted, that is grace, He has given to us His precious and very great promises. They are precious. My wife is precious. That's the way I should look at his word. This is precious. I, I would defend her. I would rescue her. I would protect her because she is precious. That is the way we should look at our Bibles. His very great promises so that through them, the pronoun there relates back to his promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Through the word of God, we become partakers of divine nature. That I know men in this congregation, I know great theologians of the past who have been converted simply by reading the Bible. 
because it is true. It is the whole truth, and it's nothing but the truth. God's promises to you and me are enough. I personally don't need to hear an audible voice. I don't need to hear it in my life because I don't know if that voice is pure. And this says God's word is pure. How do I know that that voice isn't another voice? I know that this one is without mistakes. And I firmly believe those who reject this are not rejecting its historicity. Nobody can argue with it. They are rejecting its authority. You can do this. You can't do this. And they get caught up in in reading these uh, precepts as not a part of a bigger picture. And they're saying, you Christians are telling us this is what we can and cannot do. No, we're just painting a big picture of the entire world from beginning to end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made us pure and holy. And then Satan came in, and he tainted it, and we believed him versus God. So from the very beginning, it's always about being believing God's word. It is. Eve listened to Satan, and Adam was with her. We don't... we preach through that, so I don't need to go back. You guys are like, oh, you've done this before. And from then on, it is a big picture about how God would save sinners from themselves, namely in Jesus Christ, that he would come. Uh, God had to send a God-man. It had to be God because only God could satisfy his judgment. It had to be man because only man needed to repent from his sin. And so you send the God-man, Jesus Christ, who dies upon the cross, dies a death that we should have died. He rises from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God, and he's coming back. That's the best, I mean, that's the best part of the story. Well, salvation is a huge part, and it's, I would say it's the best part of the story. The second best part of the story is he's coming back, and you and I get to see him. No longer do we have to just read his word, take it by faith, and say, this is God's voice to me. We'll sit with him forever. That is absolutely amazing to me. And it's not like I'm going to have to go tap him on the shoulder saying, you've been talking to Don for like 10,000 years. What about me? I don't know how it's going to look, but it's going to be awesome. Do you believe that? Do you believe God's word is pure? And do you believe God's word is enough? Or are you listening to this other voice? I know what God's word says, but let me just go hear Another voice. Here's what David thought when he heard that. You, O Yahweh, will keep them. See, he's talking about himself and others. You will guard us from this generation together. He's making a demarcation between himself and the faithful and those in the lying society around him. A couple years ago, I became fascinated with this idea of being kept. May I just do a little sermon within a sermon and give you nine things on what it means to be kept by God. I thank you for going right along with me. This is a theology of keeping and being kept by God. God's pure word will keep you and I in a day of trouble. Know therefore the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love 
with those who love him and keep his commandments. And so there's a God keeping and there's us keeping. That is in Deuteronomy. There is the law. Nehemiah picks it up in history and repeats it. Ah, and I said, O Lord, a God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And so from the law through history, you see God being faithful to his word. And then you see in the Psalter, in the book of Psalms, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? That I keep myself pure, you keep yourself pure according to the word. Well, how do I do that? Same Psalm, Psalm 119. Give me understanding, O God. The psalmist prays, give me understanding that I may keep your word. So you command us to keep your word and then you give us understanding to keep your word. Who gets all the glory? God gets all the glory. Psalm 121, probably the classic psalm on God, the keeper. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps you, Israel, will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't sleep. I I bet you my buddy, it's 11 o'clock. He's taking a nap. He's iced his legs. He's out. He's sleeping. Yeah, you know, you've run those distances before. He's done. He's sleeping. Not God. God could run 100 miles and he's like, yeah, what's next? Lead man, no big deal. The Lord will keep you from all evil. And then the next phrase helps us see this. He will keep your life. That doesn't mean uh, you will never experience evil. It just means he will keep you from the death benefits of evil that might separate you from him. If you're God's own, you may be killed here on earth, but you'll live forever in heaven. Paul said it like this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And my favorite, the book of Jude, to those who are called, to those who are called by God the Father, kept for Christ Jesus. It's a past deal and it's passive. It has nothing to do for you. You've been kept. Yet, later on in the same letter, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. There is an active aspect to this keeping. And finally, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. In the past, it was by God. In the future, it's by God. In the presence, it's by God as we trust in his word. And why do we need that trust? Why do we need to persevere like that? Because verse 8 says, on every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. It's an odd placement of a verse, but if you think about it, David is showing his confidence. Verse 7, you will keep them in the midst of this crisis. There are those who prowl around. God protects as those prowl around seeking someone to destroy. And not only do they prowl around, they exalt sin on earth. That is what's happening, has been happening, will happen for the rest of our life in this culture. Paul said it like this, they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. And here's a good one. Number 16, they're disobedient to parents. Children were in the audience. Yeah. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We're at 20. 
And here's the key. Though they know God's righteous decree and those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. And I could just go on and on with illustration after illustration after illustration in this culture where we we shun holiness and we uplift <coughs> evil. And so in the midst of this lying society, we must remain steadfast. In the midst of this evil society, we must understand that God will always keep us. In the midst of a society where the Islamic State says, I will raise a flag of Allah in the White House, we better hang on to God's promises. So we don't know how bad it may get, but we can count on what we read here. God's coming back to deliver His people. And that prowling lion, he'll be killed. He'll be hunted down and destroyed. He will devour no more. Our deliverance may not be immediate, but it will be ultimate. And so what do you and I do from here? If, if, if where we live is a lion society and what we have is God's pure word, what do you and I do? Where must we go from here? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I just want to show you these principles that David spoke of are not uh, ignored in the New Testament. They're not overlooked. We have not outgrown the Old Testament. It is reiterated in the New. 2 Corinthians 1, <coughs> starting in verse 15. Because I was sure of this, Paul said to the Corinthians, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia. That's the second experience of grace. It's not about a second blessing. It's not about anything that's radically misinterpreted. The second experience is you get to see my face twice. I said that to a guy that I'm coaching with. with I, I, I'm meeting with him Tuesday at lunch, and then we have a team meeting uh, on Tuesday evening, and I said, you get to see my face twice this week. I could have easily said, you get to experience grace twice in one day. Paul says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, there it is, God is faithful. Our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Key verse, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So God promised that he was going to create and fulfill the earth. Yes, and he recreated through Jesus Christ. It says that in 2 Corinthians 4. The light, the light that said shine in the darkness has shone in your hearts. The promise that God would atone for and cover sins through a perfect priestly sacrifice was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who was not only the right priest, he was also the provision. Everything you read in Leviticus, read it through the lens of the cross, and you will be overwhelmed at how glorious God is. All the promises of God find their yes in him. You mean this kingdom thing that... that uh, um, David spoke of that David was the king and Solomon was the king after that. And then all this turmoil. Yes, Jesus Christ, the king of kings, the one born king of kings, 
is coming back and he will rule the world. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 13. And so you see in that first chapter of 2 Corinthians, the promise of God is found in Jesus Christ. And you and I can make it to the end because of Jesus Christ. Verse 13 of 4, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, so I spoke. He's looking back to the Old Testament. We also believe, so we speak. You and I need to lift our voices. We need to proclaim the gospel. It's not just for Paul. It's not just for Judd. It's not just for whoever teaches Sunday school. It's for all of us. We believe, therefore we speak. Why do we speak with such boldness? Key verse, verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Skip down to verse 16. So we don't lose heart. You listen to all the voices out there. You watch the news and you don't tie, go back to the word of God. You can lose heart really quick. That is why I'm thankful for those who respond and they say, let's just go back to the word of God. You may spin your tanks in Iraq, but there is one man who rules the world and is coming back and it may get ugly, but he's going to win. Because if I don't listen to this, I start watching that. And I started thinking to myself, man, I just brought three kids into this world. What's it going to be like for them? And then they're sometimes talking about, well, will I get married? Will I have kids? What's it going to be like for them? And then I quit listening to the voices of the world. And I learned that, look back here, it's going to be all right. And we need families to have kids. We need families to do this because we need to develop the next generation of believers who also believe and therefore they speak. And so we have this promise of God found in Jesus Christ. We can persevere by uh, proclaiming Jesus Christ, knowing that he's coming back to get us. And finally, you and I have given, we've been given a big purpose in life. Second Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once re- regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard in him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, brother and sister, beloved, I can pile on all the fun, positive words. Saints, you are a new creation. Yes, but, no, you are a new creation. I used to. You are a new creation. But you don't, I do. I've been there. I've chased the wrong thing. I've drank the wrong thing. I've said the wrong thing. I've worshipped the wrong thing. And Jesus Christ made it all new. And I know a friend of mine who is, is, is getting there. I don't have to let my past dictate my future because I am a new creation with a new purpose. Verse 18, all of this is from God through Christ, where you see the centrality of Jesus, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them because it's satisfied perfectly in Jesus, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation The second, therefore, that is key, you and I are ambassadors for 
Christ. God is making his appeal through us. And so David recognized he lived in a lying society. David recognized that he had God's sure word. And David the king wrote it down so that the entire nation could sing with him about the glories of God and be confident in him. And so we, though we are not the king, there is but one king and his name is Jesus. We are ambassadors and we speak on his behalf. God is making his appeal through you and I. And you and I do this because we're convinced of his promises. We're convinced that his word is right. We realize where we live, a lying society. We trust in what we have, God's pure word. And you and I move forward in faith with ambassadors to do a good work. We have a world full of competing voices. We must listen for the truth. I conclude with this. One of our favorite shows is about people who make decisions based upon the voice that they hear. They don't see what's going on. They're turned away, but they make their decisions based on their hearing, not on their seeing. And that is similar to you and I. We need to make our decisions based on the right voice. Am I discerning the right voices? Am I listening to God's true word? Is this counsel I'm getting from this sweet brother or sister match up with God's perfect and pure word? If not, I avoid it. If so, I check it and I go with it. And one day, guess what? Our chairs won't be turned around. They'll be facing the right way and we will see the one that we long to see. Father, what a beautiful psalm. A summary of life. We live in a wicked society, Lord, and if we're not careful, we can partake in it. Forgive us of our sins. I pray for myself and those in this room who need to repent of our sins, that we would. And thank you, though, that we live in a lying society. We have your living word that is true and righteous. It is clean. It is pure. It is empowering. It is life-changing. Help us in whatever way, with whatever time, in whatever context, in whatever situation. I know there are women in here who are raising three to five kids. They got new babies that cry all night long. God, let them draw close to you and see the grand story of your grace in those precious moments that they have. I pray for those men who are busy providing for their families, putting food on the table for the baby that cries in the middle of the night, that you would allow him some time to listen to you, to draw near to you. And I pray for all of us that we would go, we would not shy away, we would be bold. May the world not have to guess that we are Christians. May your word give us the confidence we need in the crisis in which we face. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.